Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Let's pray. I'm going to get started right into the word. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. Your gospel is really really, really good news. And God, I ask that you would open up our eyes to see just how good the gospel is, how simple and how good that you, God, would give your life in exchange for ours, that we would be that we would understand the simplicity of this message again. Bring us back and give us childlike faith If you guys can just open your hands in front of you like you're receiving a gift, I just want to pray. And God, I just pray everyone here who has their hands open, God, would you just open up their eyes to receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open up their eyes and speak to them, even if it's something I don't say up here, God, that you would speak to their hearts throughout this message. And lastly, can you guys do me a favor? (laughs) Reach your hands up here and say something with me. God, help Mo. (laughs) Thank you. I need that. All right. So last week, um, Donnie spoke on believing, if you were here, and not being an unbelieving believer, right? And he talked about um, challenging our doubts, even though God is with us in our doubts, and he doesn't, doesn't, uh, there's no condemnation, and even in our struggles of believing him. This week, I actually want to follow up to believing, and I want to talk about being a believer that believes. You know, it's funny, we say unbelieving believer, and it's almost an oxymoron. I mean, it is. It doesn't make sense. It shouldn't make sense. But, you know, in life, we can become so familiar with things, right? Like, we can get so overused to something that, in turn, it loses its effectiveness, It loses its power and it'll lose its true meaning in our life. It happens all the time. You know, one example I thought of, kind of a funny example for me at least, one example I thought of when I was thinking of this, lately God's been speaking to me through my children a lot, like a lot. And especially if it's something that either I say to them and God will just say, don't you think I'm just like that and better? Like from a father coming to one of my children, I'll say something. And um, he's been speaking to me a lot. And so I'm thinking of this, you know, this thing of familiarity and stuff and becoming over familiar with things. And what does something really mean? What does being a believer really means? And what are we believing in after all, you know, it's more than his existence. It's more than that. We all know that we're here for a reason because we believe in his existence. That's just the, 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 the bare minimum, right? But anyway, just to give you a kind of funny example I thought of, um, my family and I, we have Disney passes. Um, we go to Disney a lot. And um, it's funny, you know, we go probably, <laughs> we go probably three, four times a month easily. And, um, you know, me and my wife, we tell, we tell our kids all the time, like, you guys are so lucky. You have no idea. You know, this, this wasn't around when we were kids. And it was like a once in a blue moon thing for us to want to go to Disney or to get to go to Disney. And then when we did get to go, we had to try to cram all, all parks. Back then it wasn't Animal Kingdom, I don't think, when I was a kid. So it was three parks. We had to cry, try to cram all three parks into one day. 
And then here we get to go whenever we want. We have fast passes. We get to skip the line sometimes, you know. And so we, 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 we mess with our kids sometimes about how lucky they are. Well, one day we go to Disney and we get to um, the security check where they check your bags. Now, if you haven't been there in a while, they check every single person's bags. And so we get there and, you know, around us, all the other families and the kids, um, most of them are probably tourists. Most of them have probably are going to Disney for the very first time. And um, our kids are just kind of there with like a blank, blank look. Just, they're, just, they're just used to it, you know? And um, we get up to the guy and he looks at our kids and he says, you guys look happy. Like real, real sarcastically. And, and we were just, and they just kind of like grinned, you know, kind of smirked at him. And um, me and my wife laugh and we tell him, we're like, yeah, we come here a lot. You know, like we come here a lot. And it's funny, it's like, that's what we do. Excuse me one second. Sorry. Um, that's what we do in real life. It happens. We get over familiar with things. And it's, in, in the kingdom, it can be very damaging to become over familiar with things, you know, over familiar with scripture. Oh, I know that scripture already. I know what that means. John three sixteen. the most, I mean, it's everywhere. John 3, 16, we know what that means. Do we really? Do we really? And I'm one, I'm a thinker, and sometimes it gets the best of me, and sometimes it's not good. And my wife can attest to that, and she just compliments me so time, I mean, so many times as in like we're just a good team. And, but other times I think it's like, you know, God gave me this for a reason, and I always have to think farther. Why are we believers? What do we believe in? If we're believers, what do we really believe? And I can think of two main things in life when I think of believing, when I think of the two foundational beliefs of the Christian life is this. The, these, everything else hinges on this, in my opinion. One, who do we believe? Or say it like this, do we believe that God is who he says he is? And then two, do we believe that we are who he says we are. I'm, I'm going to say that one more time. Do we believe that God is who he says he is? And then two, do we believe that we are who he says we are? That right there, I promise, with everything we see in the body of Christ at large, not everywhere, but at large, everything we see, I promise you, if we get those two questions down, we will take care of a lot of other issues. I promise you, I don't have anything against counseling. Counseling's awesome, especially Christian counseling. I don't have anything against that. But I will say this. I guarantee you we fix this issue, we fix a lot of that. And I guarantee you truth comes with freedom. Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth makes you free. Amen. Truth gives us freedom. And you know, believing, believing who God says we are, you know that this is, this is interesting, and this may sound really elementary to some of you, um, but believe it or not, it, it's, it's a very, you know, well-known thing in the body of Christ right now. Do you know that God doesn't view us as sinners anymore? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I hear it a lot, and I know, again, it should be very elementary, and you know what's funny is, okay, I've been walking with the Lord 14, 15 years, I think going on 15 years or something now. Probably 11 of those years, 11 or 12 of those years, I had a, a big issue of not believing. 
I was stuck in shame, guilt, and condemnation. Majorly. I was one of the most sincere believers you could meet. And, and I say that humbly. I'm not boasting in that, but I, I know my own heart and others that know me can attest. I was one of the most sincerest, but see, I always had this issue where if I was giving this amount of much, I can, or get this amount of anything, I can always give more. Or if I was fasting this much, I can always fast more. If I was doing this much, I could always do more. There was always this something, me trying to get to another level and just pounding myself. Living in shame, guilt, and condemnation when Jesus had took those very things. Joe, can you put the one quote up by Dan Moeller? This quote right here, look at this. I heard Dan Moeller say this before, and it's so, it's so powerful. Look what, look what this is, just to kind of relate. Because I know there's a lot of people, I don't know if in here, I'm not saying there is, but there's a lot of people who deal with this. Just guilt. Look at this. Shame says it's still who I am. Guilt says I'm not forgiven. Condemnation says I'm worthy of judgment. Shame says it's still who I am. Is it? If we're in Christ? Guilt says I'm not forgiven. Come on, we're forgiven. We know that. Condemnation says I'm worthy of judgment. All of those are lies. And you know how you beat those lies? You replace them with truth. Amen. I heard somebody, I heard somebody say truth. You following me? You replace them with truth. Truth sets free. You know, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, in Proverbs. It's the same thing as a man believes. As a man believes in his heart. You know that what you believe will determine the fruit that you produce. Like what you believe. So back to that sinner thing. It's, it's well known throughout the body of Christ, that we're just sinners saved by grace. Have you ever heard that? Anybody heard that? Sinners saved by grace? I've heard it for so many years, and for a long time, I identified myself with that. So guess what I produced? Sin. Because I believed without knowing, I gave faith that I was a sinner. Still, even though I was forgiven, even though I was past forgiven, I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But all the while thinking, well, I'm always going to sin. I'm always going to have a problem. I'm always going to, you know, like I, I get when people tell me that I don't bash it. I don't, I'm not judging. I promise. I hear this a lot. Yeah, but you know, we're always going to sin, you know, we're always going to mess up or are you know, everybody has their problems. Everybody has this. And I don't agree with that. I say that humbly. I don't agree with that because Jesus paid for a price that we can live free. I promise now, I may not be to the level where I'm at. I mean, I was just vulnerable with you guys, exposing the lie of fear and anxiety in my own life. I did that for a reason, to expose that lie and to get it out of here. Because I know I'm called to this. And there's other things that are for your lives that maybe you're called to something or maybe whatever. Even if, we, if it's not what it looks like for other people, you're called to be a son and a daughter with intimacy with Jesus. And that's what it's about. Forget ministry and what we think it looks like. It's about sons and daughters who know who they are. And so many times, like if, if, if my wife, don't ever do this, but if she ever, if she ever, if she ever, I'm about to tell you, 
If she ever put uh, a camera or something on my prayer life, <laughs> and if, if and she were to watch it, I promise you, she, w- she would probably think I'm crazy. I'm going to tell you why. I don't even know if, I don't know if I've told you this or not, but you know, <laughs> but I'm, but this is where, I don't know. I just feel like God just drawing something in me in these times. Sometimes I'm in, I'm in my prayer closet or in my prayer room or, or, or at home. I mean, like every Wednesday, my wife, um, I work nights right now, so I, I don't go in until the afternoon and my wife will come to something that they got called co-op, their homeschool. And so they come here actually, and they, they get all the homeschoolers together and have a good time and do school and all that. So that's like my only day just get some peace and quiet. And I got four kids. So if anyone who has kids, you know how valuable that peace and quiet is, right? They leave. I'm like Braveheart, Frida. <laughs> I've, I've sent her that before too. She got mad. She's like, uh-uh, whatever. But it, it, it's, so, it's so for real. And, and that is my time with God. I'm just like, yes, Lord, here I am. Never used to be that way. But when I broke down these lies and I was able to have intimacy, intimacy with him, now it's like, <clears throat> excuse me. Now it's like, yes, here I am. And so sometimes I'm so like, I have all these thoughts and I'm thinking, I'm like, God, surely you died for more. And I'm, and I'm on the ground and I'm pounding the ground. I'm pounding the ground. And I'm like, surely you died for more. Surely there's more than this. Surely there is more. Surely there's freedom. There has to be more. And I want every language. Here's me. And this is what, what I'm hoping anytime I bring a word and anytime I encourage someone, whether one-on-one, whether in a group like this, here's what I pray. That the people I'm talking to would just feel some of that same passion and even greater. To be like, there is more in the Christian walk than what we've seen. And to me, my prayer, one of my biggest prayers is, I've said it, well, not here, I haven't said it here, but one of my biggest prayers is that Jesus would receive the reward of his suffering in my life. Like, what, what does that look like? You know, to have, I, I don't want, I just, and I'm not, again, I'm not there, and I'm not, a lot of times I'm like, but, but I'm just being real with you guys. This message, I promise you, is just, for much, just as much for me as it is for you guys. I promise. This message will in turn bless me, and it's talking about me. That Jesus would receive the reward of his suffering. You know, before it was like, I feel like we're in a time of a reformation, I feel. And I want to give my life to be part of that. To declare the Father's name. If it's one thing that Jesus came to do, we know he came to die for our sins, right? We know he came to uh, become a man forever, die on the cross, remove our sins, not cover our sins. That's very key too. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a whole other teaching. But he, be, he came to remove our sins. But you know one of the things that I know he came to do? John 17, to declare the Father's name. He came to clear the air to a people that thought they knew what God was like. They thought they knew. His disciples wanted to call down fire. They wanted to like, there was like so many times where so many different situations and the, the, the Pharisees would come and they'd say, hey, Moses commanded this. And because the law of sin and death, a whole different covenant, Moses, what do you say we do? And the whole time he's just declaring, you bring me your sick, I'm healing them, period. No if, ands, or buts. No, wait, no, you know what this person, and I say this lightly, I say this lightly. 
because I know, but I don't ever see Jesus sending anyone away because they had bitterness or unforgiveness. I know that that has happened. And I know, I'm, again, I'm not saying anything against that. I know there are times where God has revealed to different ministers, hey, someone needs, they need to forgive someone and then they get healed. I've heard that, I, I know it. But as I look as Jesus, as the, as the, uh, the example, it just is very clear that it says that he healed them all. Like, let's think about this. Excuse me. There's a scripture, I forget where it's at. And it talks about all the crowds, they came to him. And it says, and he healed them all. How many people do we, th- I mean, all's a lot. How many people do we think in that all were not right with God? Were really in sin, living with someone else, not married, were do all that, you know, like all these things. How many people might have been in unforgiveness? How many people might have had generational curses? All that stuff, right? Which are real. When you're in Christ, you got a new bloodline. All that. And Jesus showed his goodness and said, let me show you what my father's like. Jesus, there is so much good news in the gospel. It's not what we do that determines who we are. It's who we are that determines what we do. Matter of fact, oh, thanks, Joel. He got it up there already. This is so key. If we get this, I'm telling you, back to what I was saying, I believe there's a reformation. I am praying and I am giving my life to be one that declares the good news of the gospel. I believe that we are walking, we're going to be walking into a time where holiness will be evident in the believer's life and it's not going to be gritting our teeth. It's not going to be, it's going to be happy holiness, joyful holiness to where we stay pure, not because we're just trying to do better, but we've actually come in contact with a holy God. And the only response is holiness because he's all that we need. Like he's all that we need. I keep looking at this side because there's so many people over here. Sorry, I'm not forgetting about you guys. I'm sorry. There's so many people on this side. I'm like, um, (laughs) sorry. But this next move that so many in the body of Christ, body of Christ, we're waiting and, and, we're, and we're contending. And, you know, we just went to this prayer rally a couple of weeks ago or something like that with the send. And, you know, in, in February of next year, which we'll announce it little by little, we'd love everyone to be a part of that. You know, Lou Ingle's coming, he's filling up a stadium and we're praying for revival and all this stuff. And we're, we're, we're contending for this third great awakening, it's called. This is what's been prophesied for many, many years, that there would be a third great awakening a final revival before the Lord returns. When is that? We don't know. I'm not going to pretend that I do, but there would be a third grade. I am believing that it would be this, that everyone knows who they are in Christ. How many people are in here? I mean, I don't know, 50, maybe, I don't know, more or less, something like that, right? What if all of us really, really believed every single thing that's in the word? When Jesus says, greater works shall you do. Greater works shall you do. I'm all for wanting double portions of another man of God. I'm all for that. I want some of these men of God I look up to. I would love for them to lay hands on me and impart something. But guess what, church? 
We have a portion of Jesus. That's the important thing here. Every one of us, I mean this with all my heart, every one of us, young, old, whatever, every one of us are the same in him. You know, it says that who, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. That is close. That is truth. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And my prayer is that this next move would be filled with believers who believe. That we would just believe him for all that he says. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, there was, there was one time where um, I was, anybody ever heard this is, that has to do with, and I'll get into it, like, you know what I said about the fruit that you produce or, or whatever you believe determines the fruit that you produce? Um, one time I was, it was in the morning time, and I, when I used to work mornings, I would get up early and just spend my time with the Lord, a cup of coffee, everyone's sleeping, it's the best time. <laughs> and um, anyone ever heard this term that Jesus is returning for a bride without spot or wrinkle? Yeah. You ever heard that? Okay. I mean, I've heard it for so long. And when I've heard it, to be honest, I, I always heard it in like a, uh, a negative context. I've heard it. And, and, and the preacher or the minister would say, you know, Jesus is returning for a bride without spot or wrinkle. He can't return anytime soon because the bride has so much spot or wrinkle. I don't know if you've heard it that way. I used to hear it that way a lot. So I used to think like, man, you're right, man, the bride has a lot of spot or wrinkle. One morning I'm, 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 I have this on my heart and I'm just thinking, you know what? Where is this at in the bot? You know, I'm like, I literally thought it was a scripture in Revelation. Like I thought it was like word for word, Jesus is returning for a bride without spot or wrinkle. So I Google it and I don't see it anywhere in Revelation. And I'm like, what is this? You know, so then I see Ephesians 5. Joe, you got that scripture? Ephesians 5, right? And I begin reading and I see, okay, let me see what it says. So, okay, that's Ephesians 1. There you go. Thanks, bro. Okay, so Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. You guys see that? I'm going to read here. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Check this out. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And as I read that, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is a present tense reality. Why have we made it this other end time reality of, you know what this is saying? That each and every one of us, if we're in Christ, I'm, again, I'm not talking about what you do, because it's not what you do that determines who you are, it's who you are. Each and every one of us are pure and spotless before him. And then I heard a whisper in my heart. And there's been times where I hear, like, very little times, maybe three times in the 15 years I've served the Lord, that I've heard what you call, what we call the internal audible voice, you know, where it's like, you don't hear my voice like this. Like, there's some prophets that hear, like, sometimes as clear as the way I'm talking to you. And then sometimes you hear the internal to where it's like, I know that was not my mind. That was God. And that, that's only happened maybe three, four times, right? So this, this wasn't 
time like that, but I hear this question on my heart right when I read this, and it was this. Do you want to know why the church has so much spot and wrinkle? Followed by an answer. Because she still believes that she has spot and wrinkle. At the core of the body of Christ, we believe that we have all this spot. We believe that we're sinners. We associate ourselves with the things that we struggle with, with our, which are mostly lies. I'm telling you, there have been things that I have been set free from in the past three years that are not things that, you know, they say the term that would eat your lunch. Things that like, I really, it was a struggle. When I got this reality, because you know what this does? Revelation, unveiling, God unveiling a truth out of his word. Revelation, that's all that means in unveiling, God unveiling. That revelation is not an end in itself. Revelation leads you to intimacy with God. That is the key. If we can get past ourselves, our own struggles, our own things, our own thoughts, what we think about ourselves, if we can get past that and revelation be the door into the room of intimacy, that's where freedom happens. Because you see, when Jesus says you will know the truth, it's not just truth, it's knowing it. And, and how many know in, in Genesis, you read certain um, versions of the Bible and it says, and Adam knew his wife Eve. We know what that means, right? And so-and-so knew his wife and they bore a son. It's an intimate knowing. It's knowing. And so what happens when you begin to get this truth in your life, it breaks down that wall that Jesus already broke, but now we build it in our minds. It breaks down that wall and now we can come to God and have real intimacy. That is where the freedom happens. It's not good enough for you to hear a word like this and do nothing with it. Because the reason why I'm even able to do what I did is because I was hearing other people speak just like this and even better to where something in me was like, oh my God, what have I been missing this whole time? This is the gospel. Like this is the gospel freedom. Because how many, again, how many times do people say, oh, well, you're always going to, I refuse to believe that anxiety is my portion. I refuse to believe it. And so should you. I refuse to believe that worry is my portion. I refuse it. Does it try to get me sometimes? Yes. Hey, last night was not easy or this morning. <laughs> Let me tell you to try to get back up here. It was gripping me and something I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish with in a few minutes of what I wanted to share. I'm telling you guys, like I said, this message was for me too. When I start, I'm not going to get into it yet. When I start sharing this dream that someone else had, that dream, literally, I was speaking that back over my life in order for me to just, I had this just dang near an anxiety attack yesterday, for real. Like we're in the, I couldn't even enjoy my, my, my nephew just turned 18 yesterday. Couldn't even enjoy his party. I was, I was just uh, checked out. Like I, I just, the nerves started to kick in, you know, and, and, and I was just really just this dream thinking of this dream that this one guy had and just, it just, I just gave, gave it all back to Jesus and just realized that anxiety wasn't my portion. It's not my portion. These things, nothing, no addiction. I'm telling you guys, nothing. We are all meant to be free and to live free. And it won't be hard. I promise you, it becomes easier. It becomes so much easier when you're filled with God you have no appetite for something else. That's, that's the reality of it. 
It's, it's not like, I, I used to hear this guy named Corey Russell. He would say, God's not boring. You're boring. And, and the Bible's not boring. You're boring. And it's like, we're, it's true. Like, who do we think we're talking to? We're talking about God. I mean, this God that this, the angels, the four living creatures just stare at him all the time. Tell me what physical thing has ever done that for us. Anything, whether good or bad. Cars are good. There's other things we put our eyes on that are not good. That's the obvious. What about all the nice things that we like, which are not bad? Again, how long can you stare at something before you get bored with it? Yet these creatures have been staring at God forever or for whenever they were created because the only one uncreated is God. These creatures are staring at God and they're still like, I've never seen that side. I've never seen that side. Who are you? Jesus, you're amazing. Jesus, you're amazing. God, put it in our hearts. Put it in our hearts. Put it in our hearts. You're amazing. And we're amazing because you're in us. God, let your bride know who she is. I'm going to close in a few minutes. And I want to close with this, um, with this dream that... <coughs> that someone had, um, this guy named Graham Cook. Um, you should, you should look him up. He's, he's really good. I love him. He's all on identity and brilliant mindset. He calls it. He he's, he's an author. He has his own publishing company called brilliant book house. And when he says brilliant and thinking brilliantly, what he, what he means is basically thinking like Jesus, you know, thinking with the mind of Christ. And so he's all about identity and, and, and more than thinking positive, like thinking like Jesus again. And so anyway, um, this dream is so powerful. He has, he's a real prophetic guy. The dreams he, I mean, I dream and my wife dreams, but this guy's dreams are like, oh my goodness, make me jealous. And this, he had a series of dreams where he would be in heaven and he'd be like in this field and almost like a, maybe a banquet setting or something like that. And people would be eating and having fun and he would see Jesus and Jesus would be walking and laughing and there'd be kids trying to jump on him and there'd be people talking to him and all that. And he would just kind of nod at Graham at a distance like, hey, I'll, I'll be right there. And, um, and then they would just fellowship and stuff, right? Well, Graham has another dream. <coughs> Sorry. Graham has another dream that he's in the same setting in heaven, in the same place. Only this time, he sees Jesus walking at a distance. Actually, he was marching. He says he sees him marching toward him with this really annoyed look on his face, like, like kind of intense. And he's like marching toward him, marching toward him. And he gets a little scared. He's like, I've never seen this side of him. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do right now. And Jesus is marching right toward him. And I mean, I would be nervous too. Jesus gets to him a few feet away. He stops in front of him and he says, Graham, give me back my stuff. Isn't that crazy? Graham, give me back my stuff. And Graham is like, Lord, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, Lord. I, I, don't, I don't know what, what stuff are you talking about. Said, Graham, don't play games with me. Give me back my stuff. And he's like, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't know what stuff. Everything, everything I have, you've given to me. I don't know what. And he said, Graham, part of that is true, but you took some stuff that belongs to me. I want it back and I want it back now. And he's like, at this point, he's on the ground. He's crying. He's like, Lord, I don't know what you're talking about. What stuff, what stuff? And this is the powerful thing. 
Jesus looks at him. He says, Graham, that bitterness, that anger, that resentment, that anxiety, that fear, give it back to me. I paid for it. I bought it. I paid the price. It's mine. It's not yours. Give it back to me now. How powerful is that? This was me last night in the car crying as I'm, as I'm feeling this anxiety, thinking about whatever. And I hear, I hear Jesus telling me, give it back to me. It's not yours, Moses. I paid the price for your freedom. And that's what I choose to believe. So when I talk about believing today, it's believing in what God says we are, who he says we are. It's for everyone, every single person in this room and in the children's ministry everywhere. Jesus paid the price for us to be free, to walk in freedom. For freedom's sake, Christ set us free. He who lives by the Spirit shall not fulfill the desires of the flesh. There's no buts there. And he says, Graham, give me back my stuff. And Graham, as soon as he says that, Graham's like, you're right, Lord, you're right, Lord, you're right. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. He begins to repent. Did Jesus say, okay, now go away. Thank you. No. You know what he does? He picks him up, kisses him on both his cheeks, smiles at him, holds him by his shoulders and says, Graham, do you have any idea how delighted I was to die for you? He tells him in this dream, do you have any idea how delighted I was to take those things from you? The joy that was set before me I endured that those things would no longer grab hold of your life, that you would be with me. And so the rest of the dream, he said that he was sitting down with the Lord, just writing all the stuff that he had took from him, writing all the stuff. I'm telling you, when I heard that, I was like, oh, oh my goodness, I have to share this. In fact, everyone I've shared it to always either at work a few different guys or somewhere everyone I share this to it always like almost ends up with them in tears because it's just the goodness of God laced all through it thanks so much for joining us we hope this message impacted you today if you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the give tab or text ACCFL to 77977 interested in hearing more check back weekly for new messages Have a great day.